Let's turn together now to Paul's second letter to Timothy and chapter number 1, and we can read at verse 3. Second Timothy 1 and at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears I long to see you that I be filled with joy and remind of your sincere faith of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Rose and in your mother Eunice and I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gives a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so on. Now, as I mentioned in the morning, we're embarking today on a series of a study of parting the counsel from the words of Paul, and uh, in the remaining weeks we have together, I want to reflect on some of the messages that we see Paul writing uh, to the churches with which he was involved, and we noted in the morning the way in which we have the story of Paul as somebody who was highly significant in the New Testament. He was somebody who understood the Old Testament and who lived the Old Testament and who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ around AD 33 when he met him on the road to Damascus. And from that moment onwards, the knowledge that he had of the Old Testament came to be displayed and understood in the fullness of God's revelation as he saw that in Christ Jesus. And as he carried on and was called to serve the Lord in that very encounter on the road to Damascus. We understand that he served the Lord for 33, 34 years, and he did so uh, towards the end through two imprisonments in Rome. And when we come to, to read this letter, he is writing the letter from his second imprisonment, which was round about AD 66, and the imprisonment after which uh, we believe he was martyred for the faith. Uh, but his interaction with the churches of Jesus Christ in these 33 years gives to us not only a sense of his understanding of the doctrines of grace, but gives to us a sense of the fabric of his relationship with all of the, these churches, and on some occasions the fabric of his relationship with particular individuals in these churches. And so tonight we want to, to look at what he says here with regard to Timothy. He is, we understand from, from chapter 4, we understand that he is alone in this imprisonment. We understand from chapter 4 that this is very likely his last and final words. He knows he's going to be poured out as a drink offering, as he says. All he can see in the future is, is the, the reward of God for his ministry. It's coming to an end. And as he senses that clearly in his own soul, he wants to, to encourage Timothy. He wants to encourage him as somebody whom he has taught 
as somebody to whom he has imparted the traditions of the gospel and the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he wants to encourage Timothy to loyalty, to greater service, to continue even the work that he has begun himself and to even suffer for the name of Christ in the way that he has done. And so we we look at this passage and we we want to look at verses 3 to verse 7 and to think of Paul's personal plea for perseverance in faith. And in many ways there is no greater desire that we could have for one another this evening than that we would all persevere in the faith. We see in the Bible itself in this letter, Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world, perseverance of faith isn't always something that we see, but it's something that Paul longed for, for Timothy. And so I want to look at the beginning of that plea in these verses tonight, Paul's personal plea for perseverance in faith. What I notice, first of all, that we have transparency. We have transparency in the sense of the relationship that Paul has with Timothy. And we have the transparency, first of all, with regard to Paul's relationship with his God. That's what we see in verse number three. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. I thank God. His, his, his words literally are, grace be to God. At the center of his thanksgiving is a sense of the grace of God. That grace which he sees as something that's his understanding of God's complete salvation. When he comes to encourage Timothy, he begins with himself in the presence of God, understanding the grace of God, and in that understanding, giving thanks to God. And when he does so, he is crystal clear on his own relationship with his God and with his Saviour, whom I serve as did my ancestors. He is clear on this service of Jesus Christ. And interestingly here, he does not see his service as serving as a slave, it's his serving in the worship of God. He understands his service of Christ in this context as continuous with the service of the people of God who came to God at Mount Sinai. Let my people go that they may worship me on this mountain. Gather my people to me that they may worship me at this mountain. And as the people of God came to Mount Sinai to worship God, to serve him. So Paul now sees his life as a life of, the, of worshiping God. It's the service of worship. That's why he can say to, in writing to the Romans, to give your lives as a living sacrifice to God. It's that sense of worshiping God. And we see it in chapter 4 when he reflects on, on, on his closing days. I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering 
the worship of God in the Old Testament. His consciousness of all that he's doing, that he's doing so in the worship of God. And for ourselves this evening, we need to raise our thinking above serving and ensure that we understand that our serving is worship so that we don't make the, the, the discontinuity between our worship and our service. Our worship does not end when we close our worship here. Our lives are, are, are themselves given over to the worship of God. And that's the first challenging thing that we, we have in this, in this call to perseverance. Let your lives be lived as lived in worship of God. And when he is conscious of that, he is conscious of two things. And first of all, that his worship is continuous with that of the people of God. As did my ancestors. He recognizes the importance of that continuity. He doesn't have a modern mindset where, where we think that, that the past is not important, that the past is a hindrance to us, that, that we have to move on and live life in this world in a, in a different way. Paul doesn't see it like that. He sees the importance of having his Christian worship and service rooted in the lives of the people of God in the Old Testament. He is the God who speaks, he is the, the Paul who preaches about the God of my fathers. And the God of my fathers has fulfilled his promise to my fathers. That's how he sees himself, at continuity with the Old Testament people of God. And along with that, with a clear conscience. He is in prison in Rome and I wonder tonight how many are within our prisons and have a clear conscience before God who are completely innocent regardless of charges against them. That's how Paul felt. Not about the courtroom along the street but in the very presence of the courtroom of heaven. His conscience is clear. They can accuse him of whatever they want to, but his conscience is clear before God. The transparency that we have with regard to Paul himself as the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God who is speaking to Timothy. And tonight, for ourselves, that's a challenging thing. If we are going to be transparent tonight with regard to our relationship with God, how do we see ourselves? Do you tonight see yourself as somebody who has the faith of Abraham, that great man of faith, the faith of the Old Testament since the faith listed for us in Hebrews chapter 11? Do you find yourself in continuity with that kind of faith? And are you able, in the presence of God, to claim your innocence because you 
don't hold anything in your heart because there is nothing that you can be guilty of. Yes, we are all sinners, but do we harbor any sin in our hearts? That means we, we cannot before God claim that sense of sincerity and innocence. The transparency. It's a kind of transparency we need in the presence of God and in the presence of one another. And what we see in the transparency also, it's not only that Paul is the friend of God, but also that he is the friend of Timothy. I thank my God as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Paul is he's alone in, in his prison house in Rome. And in, in his isolation, he cannot stop thinking about Timothy. And every time he prays, he prays for Timothy. Timothy is, is so close to his heart. He prays when he remembers his tears. That is, the tears of, of Timothy. The, the tears that, that they shared in their parting and the tears that they shared when they embraced one another before they went to their separate ways. Remain at Ephesus, he says in the first letter. Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge those who are around you. They, they went their separate ways. And in that moment of going their separate ways, they embraced and they shed their tears. And Paul is in prison in Rome and that moment for him was was unforgettable it was a moment that left its mark on the whole of his life and along with that and because of that I long to see you that you may be filled with joy the desire of his heart was to see Timothy and to see Timothy was what was going to fill his heart with joy. The transparency with regard to his relationship with Timothy. That loving devotion that was constantly in his mind. And that regardless of, of what happened to him, we have an indication that whatever else was going on in his mind, that Timothy was always to the fore in his prayers. And that's why he says in, at the end of the letter, in, in verse 9 of chapter 4, do your best to come to me soon. He wants to see Timothy before anything else happens. Do your best to come to me before the winter. Don't wait any longer. Come as soon as you can. The transparency. What a wonderful encouragement it was to Timothy to read these words. What a wonderful relationship that we ourselves could aspire to, 
to have this kind of transparency with one another. To be able to, to think of, of parting and to do so with a sense of remembering and a sense of loving and a sense of desiring so that when the distance is there we don't forget each other so that when the distance is there we don't stop praying for each other that in the presence of God because of the very nature of our relationship with each other that we will continue to pray and to plead and to reflect on communion and fellowship the transparency the encouragement for Timothy and no doubt the encouragement for Paul that as he reflected on, on Timothy in prison we may allow ourselves to think that he shed a few tears as he longed to see Timothy one more time the transparency that underlies his plea to persevere in the faith. Secondly, we see there is a testimony. He has something to say about Timothy. In verse number five, I am reminded of your sincere faith. When he remembers Timothy, he remembers in particular his faith. He remembers for particular reasons that Timothy has that faith which he has himself. And uh, the remembering that, that the rem- being reminded that we have in verse 5 can, can be something that, that arises from within the Persian or something that is caused by something that happens outside of the Persian. And we may allow ourselves to think of both things. There is the sense of remembering Timothy's faith from his relationship with Timothy, but there is also the sense of remembering Timothy's faith because of something tangible that Timothy has done. It may be sending gifts, it may be sending messages, it may be something that Timothy has done. But there is that sense of double, twofold, being reminded of the faith of Timothy. And we read in Acts chapter 16 of that moment when they came together many years before now. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman. His father was a Greek. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He met him in Derby and Lystra. And their hearts were knit together then because of their shared faith. And because of that faith, Paul circumcised Timothy to have that, that mark of, of the Old Testament people of God, 
not because it was necessary for his salvation, but for the sake of the community around him in Derby and Leicester, it was important that he should be circumcised. But there was the moment of Timothy's faith, and it was then that Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. And there is that faith which is sincere. It is genuine. It is not something that's performed on the stage and is simply an act. It is something that that arises out of a heart that has embraced the promises of God as we saw this morning in Christ Jesus. It's a, a persuasion that comes from the same place of Paul's own persuasion and faith. It has its focus and its object as Jesus Christ, our Lord. Being reminded of your sincere faith. He begins the letter by speaking of the person who is my beloved child in the faith. They have been together a long time. It is faith that is working. The wheels are going round. It's not something that, that was there for a moment in Derby and Lystra, where, where in that initial embrace there was joy and excitement at what God was doing. It was something that began there, but something that continued from there. And tonight we, we may challenge ourselves to think of that kind of initial encounter to think of that encounter of personal individual faith where what, what, what knits our hearts together it's not just everything about community life but what knits our hearts together is the faith of the people of God is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to have that testimony about each other that you have that faith that Timothy had, that Paul had, that is sincere and genuine. It's not something that you put on on the Lord's Day and put off for the other six days. The testimony of sincere faith, a testimony that arises from evidences and based on evidences. The testimony. And when he speaks about the testimony of faith, he wants to lay emphasis on the importance of Christian heritage. We have parents with children tonight. We are here and our parents and our grandparents have gone before us. Paul wants Timothy to understand that the faith that he has is indeed Paul's faith and the faith of the people of God. It is a faith which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. We saw a Derby and Lystra that Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman here we have her name. His father was a Greek. 
His mother was someone who, who had abandoned her faith when she married a Greek. She had moved away from the tradition of, of, of the Old Testament scriptures when she married the Greek. But miraculously, God had come into her life and she was converted to the faith of the family. The faith that was found in her grandmother Lois and in, in the family faith, the historic faith, and now the faith that I am persuaded dwells in you as well. It is the heartfelt faith. It is a faith that indwells. It is deep in the heart that the Spirit of God indwells. So this faith indwells. And so the heart of Timothy is a home for the grace of God, for the faith of the people of God, and for the presence of God itself. The testimony. And tonight, what a marvelous thing. Although our salvation is not dependent upon our Christian heritage, what a marvelous thing, what a beautiful thing to see sons and daughters following the faith of fathers and brothers. To see sons and daughters following the faith of grandmothers and and grandfathers. To see that God is, is working through the family unit that he has appointed himself as the order and the structure of society. And the great challenge for for you tonight as part of this testimony of faith. What about your mother? What about your father's faith? Is that what you have in your heart? What about your grandmother's faith? Your grandfather's faith? You knew it. You saw it. Is that what you have in your heart tonight? To have the testimony that your faith is the faith that they had and what uh, an encouragement that would be coming from the rich heritage of the people of God and the generation that has gone. Those who have left their empty seats here who were fathers and mothers and grandfathers and, and grandmothers tonight that, that you would have their faith as your testimony and as other people's testimony about you, that you are providing that continuity in the covenant community of the people of God and that not only is the testimony about your faith, but it is the faith of fathers and mothers and and grandfathers and grandmothers, but that it is the faith of Abraham himself. And may we even say that it is the faith of our Saviour who lived the life of faith. The importance of Christian families, the importance of Christian teaching, 
And as Paul encourages Timothy, we see in chapter 3 and at verse 14 that he is speaking about that from a child he was acquainted with the sacred writings, the blessing of teaching your children the doctrines of grace, the message of salvation, of teaching the catechism, of teaching the very things that will form the foundation that when the Spirit of God comes, they are built up by God on the teaching of the Bible that enables them to find their roots in the Old Testament Scriptures as well as the New Testament Scriptures. And that kind of testimony makes for one thing amongst others. It makes for a sure faith and for a confident faith. And there is great confidence and there is great encouragement for us tonight to know together that our faith, your faith and my faith is the same faith that the generation beforehand who had great faith in God, who did great things for God, who experienced great things from God, and who went with the people of God, who died in faith, and went, slept, and went to be with Jesus. The testimony that again is the basis for the call to perseverance. And finally, there is that transformation. What is Paul looking for in Timothy? He wants him to be different. He wants him to be better. He wants him to move on from where he is. He wants him to be a better servant of Jesus Christ. He wants him to persevere in the faith. And he wants him to do that to show him that he has a responsibility. And he has a responsibility that should be working always when his experience is at a low ebb and when he doesn't sense the closeness of the presence of the Lord Jesus. And he begins this word of transformation by uh, reminding Timothy in verse 6, for this reason, I remind you, well, we can say I remind you again, to fan into flame the gift of God. There's a fire here. There's a fire here that's close to going out. I need somebody to stoke the fire, to, to reactivate something so that it will cause it to burn again. I need something to revitalize this fire so that it will burst into a, into a blowing flame. It speaks of something that, if it's not stirred up and revitalized like that, that this fire is in danger of becoming nothing but ashes. Paul is not afraid to lay it on the line, 
to lay it on the line that things can be so far gone in our Christian experience that unless we take action, that faith is going to vanish. And tonight, maybe, what do you need more than anything is to come face to face with the reality that whatever God has done in your heart, that it is close to going out. And that maybe all you will be left with in the future is the very ashes of what God had done. Yes, we know that God will not lose his people, that we can't lose our salvation. But this is about experience. This is about what we go through in life. And God is saying to Timothy, and God is saying to you tonight, what has God done in your life? What are you doing with what God has done in your life? You have a responsibility. It may be a very small thing that you think God has done. When in a moment he gave to you that desire, that hunger, that thirst, that longing for for a, a full experience of the grace of salvation, it may be that small thing which is in no way small. But you have let that lie dormant and you have done nothing with it but suppress it. It's not for sure. This is not going to take over my life. That's the danger. And God wants you tonight to fan the flame, to to do something about reactivating and revitalizing all that is in your heart and to transform yourself, that gift of God that is in you, that was in you through the laying on of hands, that that commissioning of Timothy to to succeed Paul, that, that sense of setting apart for the service of God's kingdom, to stir, to cause that fire to burn furiously again. And that's some transformation. We see it in, in our open fires. We come in and the fire is close to going out. And it takes care. It takes fuel. It takes the right atmosphere. And that care and, and that fuel and, and that right atmosphere will cause the fire to, to burst up into flame once more. It's not beyond Recovery and the beauty of it shining in the cold of winter when we can sit around it and feel the heat. That's the kind of transformation that Paul is looking for. He wants other people to feel the warmth of God's grace in the life of Timothy. And tonight he wants other people to feel the same warmth coming from you. That glow that can only come when the work of God in our hearts is shining brightly and burning with the zeal of love and burning with that sense of excitement because We have seen the glory of the Lord. 
and living that out in our everyday lives. Because, says Paul, the spirit that has been given you is not the spirit of fear. Timothy was timid about his faith. He was afraid. There were false teachers around. There were those who were dabbling in in irreverent babbles, as he he describes in chapter 2. And these things were leading to more ungodliness. And Timothy's afraid. He's, He's standing back from that. He's not being the servant that he should be. But Paul says to him, God hasn't given to you a spirit of fear. In other words, there is no excuse, Timothy, for you to tell me that you're afraid to show your faith. That's not acceptable. If this flame is in your heart, if the Spirit of God is in your heart, that simply is not acceptable. Uh, Tonight God is saying to all of us, and saying to you, It's not acceptable to say that you're afraid to show your faith, that you're afraid to to walk the life of faith. It's not acceptable that you you, you have faith in in the privacy of your own heart and don't let it work in life. That's not acceptable because the spirit that God has given is one of power and of love and of self-control. It's one of power. The power that enables you to do things. Paul prayed for the Ephesians in chapter 3 that they would be strengthened with power by the Spirit of God in the inward person. The Spirit is a spirit of power that enables us to serve God and to live our faith and not to be afraid. And that does not mean that it takes away our fears but it helps us overcome our fears. And in trusting in the Spirit of God, we are empowered to so serve the Lord in the way in which he has called. And so the response to, to your fears tonight is not that that's okay, you know, just you, you stay in the background so that you, you won't feel any danger. The response is, yes, you are fearful, but when it is God that has worked, And if it is God that has worked, then your fear is not an excuse because God's work is one that gives you power. Power to serve. It's one of love. That's the the fire of of grace. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, we read of love being as strong as death. It's a burning flame. That's the spirit, that's the love that God has poured out into our hearts by his Holy Spirit which dwells within us. In Romans chapter 5, and there is that self-control, which basically we can say it's correct self-evaluation. What does that mean? It means just as Paul understood who he was in the prison house in Rome, in the presence of God. He understood all that he was and all that he was not. He was able to evaluate himself correctly 
on the basis of his understanding of the word of God and never be at peace in the presence of God. And so the transformation that is going to enable Timothy to persevere in faith is one where he correctly understands the work of God that God has done in his heart and then he will be able to serve. He will be a faithful successor to Paul and he will continue that ministry. And tonight for for you that is the challenge to allow that transformation to take place so that in all of our meetings and in all of our partings that our faith will continue to grow and so that that growth and that development and that perseverance of faith is not dependent on, on any individual or on me or on any other but that it is dependent on your understanding of the work of God in your heart and letting that work flourish and making sure that you do nothing to stop its progress, but to ensure that you examine yourself daily and allow the work that God has begun to be a burning flame, the torch, the fire in the burning bush, the presence of God, that that fire so burn in your life today and in all the days that are to come so that you may share in Paul's confidence as he finishes his own course and as he awaits for that crown. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we bear before you the Lord our God who, who knows our hearts, who calls us to examine ourselves, to examine ourselves as to who we are, to acknowledge your grace in our lives and to respond to that grace and to live it out in everyday life. Help us, we pray. Encourage us, we ask. Give us to know that transforming power within and be merciful to us day by day as we commit ourselves to you now. Hear our prayer and accept us for Jesus' sake. Amen.